Hello, and welcome to the Revive Church podcast with Pastor Todd Mazingo. I'm your host, Paul Garner. Thank you for listening today. Do you want to understand healing or to take more steps in healing? Perhaps you need healing or you are not understanding why you're not getting that healing. Pastor Todd helps us grow in our understanding of how healing works in the kingdom of God. He leads us in a view of when Jesus heals. As Pastor Todd continues this series on healing, he focuses on the second line of Isaiah 61 that Jesus read. It says, He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. Jesus is saying, God sent me to proclaim a release to the captives. What does this have to do with healing? Is there a kind of sickness that controls us or weighs us down? Is there a kind of healing that holds us captive? Let's let Pastor Todd explain. Be sure to listen to the end for some important information about Pastor Todd's new book. Are y'all ready to get into it? I hope so, because today is going to be a big bite for some people to chew on. Going to take a little bit to kind of absorb maybe what we're talking about today. We're in a series called When Jesus Heals. When Jesus heals. And last week, uh, we realized that Jesus, when he starts his ministry, as soon as he comes out of the desert, he goes into a synagogue and he stands up and he reads Isaiah 61. And we talk about the portion of Isaiah 61 that he read being actually a job description, if you will. It was what the Messiah has come to accomplish. Uh, and in that, we recognize that each of those lines that he talks about accomplishing is a form of healing. So he came, Jesus came to heal, but there are different types of sicknesses that we looked over. We talked about sicknesses in the body, sicknesses of the mind, sicknesses uh, of the emotions, things that needed to be healed. But oftentimes, as believers, when we go to deal with putting our faith in Jesus for healing, we tend to have a hopeful prayer instead of a faith-filled prayer. In other words, we hope Jesus heals instead of having having faith that he heals. And we talked about the, the way to step into that faith is understanding, understanding. In other words, in order to come to know Christ, you have to learn and understand that you are separated from God by your sin, that Christ came to die for the consequences and punishment of your sin, that you can accept what he did on the cross for you. And that uh, resurrection and that uh, condemnation taking can be assumed by you. In other words, you can take that on for yourself and be reconciled to God through faith. And so as we learn things, we can have more faith in things, if you will. We talked about riding a motorcycle, but you may not know how to do it. But when you learn the clutch and the brake and the gas uh, and shifting and those kind of things, you get more and more confidence that you can do it. Uh, And so what we want to do today is look at the second line of Isaiah 61 that he read and see what it said. It says, He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. Jesus is saying, God sent me to proclaim a release to the captives. And that captives word in the Greek is akamitos, akamitos. And what it means is a prisoner of war. He has sent me to proclaim release to the prisoners of war. And when we're talking about a prisoner in this context, he's talking about something that has control over you. In other words, you have lost your freedom to the enemy. 
I am captive because I no longer have my freedom because the enemy has a power over me to hold me captives. The Bible talks about it oftentimes, or we talk about it in the terms of being oppressed. We are oppressed by an enemy. And so we talk, begin to talk about who is that enemy and where does that oppression comes from. And scripturally, it's laid out as the demonic, the demonic that can oppress people. Uh, many people are confused about demons. And here's why I need you to buckle up your seats and hang on. And they're confused about demons in Christians. And is that even possible? So we're going to start by talking about the demonic oppression are the demon possessed phrases that we hear in the Bible. We're going to look at the fact that demons in the Bible, it never says they were ever bound and taken away for this time. In other words, if there were demons in the first century oppressing people in the church age, then there are demons today. There was nothing that happened after Christ that said, okay, demons that are being delivered by the apostles have actually, these are just the last ones and it's a cleanup job. <laughs> that there is still demonic activity today and largely in the church, and I'm just being honest here, largely in the church, what we've done is say, oh, that doesn't affect the church, so we don't have to talk about it. I got a couple problems with that. My first problem is if we're out there saving the lost, then we got to deal with it. We got to deal with it, okay? So it shouldn't be a hidden topic for us because I know that when Christ comes, all of that Armageddon fight and rounding up and casting demons in the lake of fire is the end of it. It says in Matthew 25, 41, then he will also say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. So there will come a day when we don't have to worry about demonic activity, but re demons are real today. Demons are real today, and the truth of it is we can typically see that when it's a significant manifestation. We would say when there's a mass shooting, there's probably some demonic activity going on there. What would make a person want to do that kind of things? But what I want to do is look at the demonic as it relates to our study when Jesus heals. Because you may not know this, but demons can cause physical problems. Demons can cause emotional problems. I'll give you some examples straight out of scripture so you see what I'm talking about. Matthew 9, 32 and 33. As they were going out, a mute, demon-possessed man was brought to him, Jesus. After the demon was cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds were amazed, and they were saying nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. Matthew 12, 22. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and he healed him so that the mute man spoke. Luke 13, 11. And there was a woman who for 18 years had a sickness caused by a spirit, and she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your sickness. And he laid hands on her, and immediately she was made erect and began glorifying God. Mark 9, 20. They brought the boy to him, Jesus. And when he saw him, Jesus, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion. 
and falling on the ground, he began to roll around and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, it's often thrown him both into the fire, into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help him. And Jesus cast this spirit out of him. So what did we just see? We saw that a spirit can cause muteness, can cause deafness, can cause physically a person to be in bondage, held over, and even do what we would call convulsions, convulsions, things like that. So we have this thing that spirits and demons can cause physical problems. Now, not all physical problems are caused by demons. Some of them are caused by dumb humans. (laughs) I'm just being honest with you. If you keep eating at McDonald's, expect a physical illness to come upon you. If you're going to jump off the house and not use the ladder, expect a physical ailment to come upon you. If you're going to spend the night in the cold without clothes on, expect a physical illness to come upon you. So it's not everything. And I'm not a demon chaser. I don't look at everything and say, oh, that's a demon, that's a demon, that's a demon. Sometimes it's a human. But not only can they cause physical problems, they can cause mental problems. I go to Mark chapter 5. And when he, Jesus, got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had his dwelling among the tombs, the man did. And no one was able to bind him anymore, even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and shackles broken into pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. But look at five. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming, among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. We have a mental disorder going on in the fact that he spends his time just screaming and cutting himself. And in every one of these cases we just read, healing gets brought about by the removal of the demons. If you go on to read that story we just covered, uh, the man says, I have a legion of demons. And Jesus speaks directly to them. He casts them out and they run into a set of pigs and, and they run down the hill and drown themselves. And then it says the man was sane and in his mind so much so that the city was now afraid of him because he was sane. That tells you how crazy he was that once he became sane, sitting there in his right mind, they were afraid of Jesus. They said, well, well, party of this, we kind of... We're okay with it like it was, maybe. Jesus said in uh, Matthew 28, he says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. What's the therefore there? The therefore is there because he said, I have all authority. Now you can go. You can operate in the authority that I have. I will be with you. And listen, if Jesus says, I have all authority, how much authority do the demons have? Okay. If somebody's got all, everybody else has got none. So Jesus has all authority, and he tells us to go walk in that authority. He tells us, I will live in you, listen to me, so that you can cast out that demon. Matthew 10, 7 and 8. And as you go, preach saying this, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leopard, cast out demons. Freely you've received 
freely give. Now, the question would be then, was it only the apostles who had that authority to cast out demons? Because some would tell you that when they're talking apostolic dispensation. I've talked to you before. I have a problem with apostolic dispensation because the apostles were in the church age and the church age hasn't ended. So we're still in the same dispensation they were in. But let's go back and get a word from Jesus about whether that was just for the apostles. It's in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Jesus saying to his disciples, he says this, including the apostles, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now watch, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Teaching them to observe all all that I commanded you. What did he command them? We just read it. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out the demons. So the apostles were told to teach everybody to do what they're doing. Are you with me? All right. So now we have the basis that we're walking in that same authority that he told the apostles to walk in it. So demons have the power to inflict sickness, but it's critical, critical that you understand they have no authority. They have no authority. Okay. And authority and power are two different things. Okay. A stick of dynamite has power. But without the authority to be placed and lit, it can do nothing. It has power to blow things up and make a mess, but we have the authority to snuff out the wick and that power can't be expressed. Are you with me? So they have a power that they want to express uh, and we have an authority over them. But every time... Every time we begin to talk about demons and every time we recognize they're still real today, they're here, there's an elephant in the room. And the elephant in the room is, yeah, but Christians can't have demons. So we're good. Right? Can a believer be oppressed by a demon? I want you to watch this. I'll just lay it out in scripture. In the Greek, and we're just talking New Testament now. I can go back and prove it in the Old Testament too, but just look at the New Testament where we have most of our demon possession and deliverance going on. The word possessed, there are two Greek words used for possessed. One means I have a power over, a person is oppressed, is possessed by something that has a power over him. The other word is ownership. I possess something. Something can be possessed by someone. So in the Greek, the, uh, uh, the word for power over is dinomizomai. Dinomizomai. And what it means is to be under the power of a demon. Dimonizomai. Under the power of a demon. Now remember, they have power, but they have no authority. The other Greek word is echo. Echo means to own something. So the rich young ruler was told to sell all that he echoed and follow Christ. He was told to sell all that he possessed, he owned. Why is that important for us to see that? Because there's a difference between being under the power of the demonic and being owned by the demonic. Stay with me. A believer cannot be owned by the demonic. Why? Because a believer has been bought with a price. Our owner is Christ. 
we are in the kingdom of God under Christ, so we cannot be owned. Now the question is, can a Christian be under the power of a demon, although he's not owned by a demon? Stay with me. Because some people will tell you, well, a Christian cannot be oppressed by a demon. It can't have a demon because of 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 15. Here's what it says. For what partnership, everybody say partnership, have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has the light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Bilal? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? So the line of thinking used in bad teaching is, hey, you can't have Christ in you and have a demon messing with you. They can't be in the same place. Here's the problem. That scripture's not talking about demonic at all. That scripture is talking about who you marry. He's saying you've got to be able to marry someone who has that common bond with you. What the scripture is saying is that a non-believer will not be able to be in partnership with a believer because they have separate goals. How can you partner with something you don't have any common in, in common with? Christ and Bilal are used as the example to have nothing in common. They can't be in partnership. They can't be married together. They can't be working together. It's saying that they can't have a harmonious relationship. So here's my point. Let's don't take scriptures that aren't talking about demons and try to apply them to demons. Here's another one. Another one commonly used, James 3, 11 through 13. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brother, produce figs or an olive produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. How can bitterness and freshness come out of the same person? How can a living water and fountain produce a salt water? This scripture is talking about the power of the tongue, not talking about demons, talking about the power of the tongue. It was talking about the fact that why would blessing and curses come out of the same mouth? Now listen, you have to go back and recognize the writer is James. James is very practical. James is very straightforward. James has cost us a lot of legalism in the church, but it's okay <laughs> if you understand who James is. James goes on to say, what you need is wisdom from above so that what comes out of you will be fresh water instead of bitter. Not talking about demons. He's talking about the tongue and what we would speak and how we would speak and bitterness. So if we're going to use scriptures to say demons cannot exercise power over Christians, let's not use ones that are not talking about demons. So you know what the next question is. Are there scriptures that say that a believer could have a demon? Yes. Let me take you to Mark chapter 7. You probably didn't see it, but let me show it to you. Mark chapter 7, verse 24 through 30. Jesus got up and went away from there to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know of, yet he could not escape notice. But after hearing of him, Jesus, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was saying to her, let the children be satisfied first. It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. 
But she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, this to her, um, and he said to her, Because of this answer, go, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And going back to her home, she found the child laying on her bed and the demon had left. Now, let me break this down for you a little bit. This woman is a Syrophoenician woman. She is from Phoenicia. It is a seat of paganism at the time. It's where Jezebel was actually from. There was a lot of occult and sorcery going on in that culture. But why did he call her a dog? Doesn't that seem kind of rude of Jesus? Hey, this is not for the dogs. It's because in Revelation twenty-two fourteen it says this. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they might have the right to the tree of life and might enter by the gates into the city. Who's he talking about? Who gets a robe of righteousness? The believer. Blessed are those who have a washed robe and can enter into the gate. Look at 15. Outside of the gates are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolatry and everyone who loves and practices lying. In other words, he says, outside the gate are the dogs, the one who are not washed in robes inside the gate. Dogs represent lost people. And you got to know this. When Christ came, he said, I came only to the Jews Later, we know that Peter went to the house of Cornelius and Paul was commissioned to go into the Gentiles. So the word at this point was not being spread to the Gentiles and she was a Gentile. But what was she asking him for? She was asking Jesus, would you cast the demon out of my daughter? And Jesus's response is, it's not right to give what is for the believer to the unbeliever. This is what Jesus said to her. Deliverance isn't for the lost. Deliverance is for the children of God. Let the children be satisfied first, for it's not good to take of the children's bread, deliverance, and throw it to the dog. So I can't deliver your child. He's not... Mm-mm-mm. Why did Jesus say deliverance is for the children of God if they can't have demon oppression? And don't overanalyze. Jesus cast out uh, demons from non-believers. He absolutely did for the purpose of their salvation. Knowing that they were to be children of God, he cast the demon out of him. But the point is, Jesus says right here to this Gentile non-believer, this deliverance is for my children, not for you. Now remember, this is not possession. It's not ownership. It's power over. So the common argument that comes is how can the Holy Spirit and a demon be in the same place? Meaning in a believer, in a Christian, how can the Holy Spirit, this is what I was taught growing up. You don't have to worry about demon oppression because you're a believer and the Holy Spirit and a demon can't be in the same place. My answer to that question is correct. That's correct. A demon and the Holy Spirit can't be in the same place, but stay fastened in. I didn't say you couldn't be oppressed by a demon. Have you ever known a Christian, someone who became a Christian and immediately stopped all sin? Anybody? Okay, let me put it to you this way. When I became a Christian, I did not stop all sin. 
It's a sanctification process. It's a clearing out. It's a learning. It's a comprehending, okay? It's a growing in my faith. So let me ask you something. How could the Holy Spirit be in me and sin still be in me? How could the two reside in one place? If Holy Spirit is holy, then how could I continue in any kind of sin? It it doesn't make sense. So here's what makes sense to put this thing together. The Holy Spirit resides in your regenerated spirit. If you were here last week, what we talked about is the fact that in the garden, because of sin, man spiritually died. And the Holy Spirit comes at the time, uh, you're going to go read it in Corinthians, at the time, the Holy Spirit comes and regenerates. He washes, he renews your spirit, so you're a new creation operating in the way you were originally designed with the spirit, soul, and body that are all alive and working. And our spirit is a holy place once it's regenerated, and the Holy Spirit resides there. Listen to me. Because your spirit is the holy of holies in your temple. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that his spirit dwells in you? But we know the spirit is spirit, So the spirit dwells in our spirit. The spirit doesn't dwell in my flesh. He is in my body because he is in my spirit. But he dwells in my spirit. See, your body is the temple. So let's go back to the temple. What does the temple look like? The temple has an outer courtyard. It's a fencing. Then it has a building. And in that building are two sections. There's a portico, but there's a section called the holies. This is where the lampstand, the menorah are, the table of showbread is, the uh, incense uh, uh, to be offered up, prayer incense. And then there's a curtain. And then there's a place called the holy of holies where God dwells. And every year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest has to come into the outer courtyard and he has to make a sacrifice and he has to take that blood through the Holy of Holies, past the veil, uh, through the Holies, past the veil into the Holy of Holies. There are three sections. This is what I'm telling you. The three sections of that temple represent you. That the outer courtyard is your body. This is where the physical aspects come from. This is where the sacrifice has to be made. This is where the washing of the hands, the things we do in the flesh take place. But when you go into the holies, this is where things of the mind are, the things of the soul are, the mind, will, and the emotions. Why do I say that? Because there's a light of the world representation. There's a bread of life representation, which we know to be Jesus. And there's an altar of incense, which is our prayers. These are the things of our soul that are in that area. Uh, So in the courtyard, it's a place of sacrifice, and we need to lay the flesh down. In the holies, it's a place where we need the light of the world. We need the bread of the life. We need the prayers. And then beyond that is the spiritual place called the holy of holies. Now, since we understand that we are three-part and the temple is three-part and in the Holy of Holies is where God reigns or the Holy Spirit would dwell in us, the question is, has sin ever entered the temple? If I go look at the old picture and say, has sin ever come into the Holy of Holies? No. Why? Because God said, you better consecrate that priest before he goes beyond that veil. Because if he goes in there with sin, he will die. 
Sin does not permeate the veil. Sin does not permeate the Holy of Holies. There can be no sin in the Holy of Holies. That's where the Spirit resides inside of you. Now the question is, was there ever sin in the holies? Was there ever sin in the outer courts? The answer to that is yes. Do you remember that David went into the holies and took of the showbread to feed his men as he was a warrior? And the priest said, you can't do that. That bread is only to be eaten by the priest once a week. When they replace the bread, it's not for you. That's sinful. Was there ever sin in the outer courtyard? Yes. Do you remember when Jesus came into the temple and said, you guys have made this a a den of thieves. You guys are just exchanging money here. That's not right. If you go back into the Old Testament, you see Hezekiah cleaning up the whole thing. He's got to take Asherah poles, temple poles. He's got to take all this stuff out of the outer courtyard and the holies. But the holy of holies is still pure and clean and undefiled. Sin cannot enter there. So now we understand the concept that I am a believer and my spirit has been regenerated and the Holy Spirit has come to live with me, but there's still sin going on in my mind and my soul and there's still sin going in in my outer courtyard and those things allow demons to come and oppress. How does that happen? We open the door. As a believer, we open the door. Now, not all the time, stay with me. We open the door. We do sins in the flesh, adultery, pornography, fornication, and they are opening the door for the demonic to step in with it and oppress us. We sin in the soul, unforgiveness, jealousy, anger. These allow the demons to attack or have some power over us in our soul, in our mind. What's happening, and I've expressed this many times, I hope you get this picture. You're in the kingdom of God. You have left the kingdom of darkness. But anytime you choose sin, you're putting your foot back into the kingdom of darkness in order to build a bridge for everything that is darkness to come in. So when we sin, we're opening the door for the demonic to have power in our soul and in our body, but they cannot get to our spirit. Our spirit is eternal. It is safe. It is saved, but we can be oppressed. So how do you get rid of these guys? We take authority over them. We take authority over them. Now, hear me out, because I think this is a tough thing for some people to hear. But if you don't hear it, you'll continue to wrestle. If sin opened the door for the demonic to come in and oppress you, then what has to happen as far as you're concerned and that sin? Stop it. It's called repentance. It's where we go before God and say... I have allowed this demonic oppression in my mind by watching pornography, and I want that demonic oppression out. I'm tired of being depressed. I'm tired of being angry. And so what I want to do, God, is I want to repent of that sin. I want to get that out of my life. I don't want anybody to forget this. It's a, it's a good point in the grace message, but you have to hear the message all the way through. When they brought the woman in adultery to Jesus, he said, go and... Did he give her grace and mercy? Yes. He withdrew the punishment from her, but he said, don't do it anymore. 
don't do it anymore. It's in the same way when you get this demonic oppression that comes upon you and you have opened the door because of sin, you can expect that demonic oppression until you repent and stop the sin. You with me? Good, because some of you are thinking real deep right now. I look at it this way. If you were to leave your house today to come here and you left it unlocked and you get home into the driveway and you realize there's somebody in your house and they're stealing your stuff. They're in your house and they're causing chaos and havoc. Do they own your house? No. Do you have the authority to call the police and have them hauled out? Welcome to demonic deliverance. So then the next obvious question will be, well, how do I know if I got a demon? It's actually very easy. It it actually is very simple. Because a demonic oppression makes you a prisoner. So the question is, what are you out of control in? What do you have no authority over? What place in your life are you in bondage in a way that you can't get set free? You don't know what's going on, but you are oppressed by this thing and you don't know what it is. Maybe you have an illness or you have a mental state that is unjust. I don't know why I'm depressed. Now listen to me. Make this clear. I am not saying that every demonic attack is because of sin. A demonic attack can clearly be because of sin. I I prayed with people where I've asked them about a sin in their life. They've admitted to it. They've repented of it. And the demon leaves. But there are also believers who have a call of God on their life that the demonic will come after. How do I know if the demon that's oppressing me is because of my sin or because of the great call on my life? Do you have a great call on your life? Are you sinful? Because I would start with the sin. I would start and say, what am I doing that would open the door to this demonic oppression? And if I can't find anything, if like, God, I I don't know if, you know, the Holy Spirit wants you delivered more than you do. So if you go back to the Holy Spirit and you say, where is sin in my life? He'll tell you. He'll tell you because he wants you free. But if the answer is there is none, this is an attack. And that attack has no right over you. And what's missing is you're taking authority over that demonic oppression. And so if you don't know that you can work in that authority to cast out that demon, you'll sit and mess with the oppression for sometimes year after year after year. And not to scare you. But as you become more and more mature in Christ, as there's more and more calling on your life, you will begin to recognize a demonic presence in someone else. You'll see it. You'll see it in their eyes. You'll see it in their attitude. You'll see the oppression that's on them. And sometimes I just want to run over and say, get out of her. And then I realize because of her sin, it ain't coming out. It's got a right to be there. And so sometimes we have to walk through those repentance things, and sometimes we just deliver them. But let me close with this. I know many strong, respectful people I admire, believers, 
who are in ministry, who are under great demonic attack and will give you their witness. I'll give you an example. I don't know how many of you know James Robinson. Uh, he's at Gateway in Dallas right now. He's got a TV show called, I think it's Life Today. Life Today. I grew up with his daughter. Uh, and so I, I know of him, if you will. Uh, but he has a full testimony where he had been a pastor for years and he had been struggling with his own anger and someone took him aside into a hotel room and started talking to him about demons. And he said, do you mean to tell me as a pastor I have demons? And the guy said, you are full of them. <laughs> Went through the process and was delivered from all that demonic oppression at that time. And it's his testimony today that as a pastor, he was walking around oppressed by demons and didn't even realize what was going on. In, in Psalms 107, it says this. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. He healed them and delivered them from your destruction. So when we're talking about Jesus, Jesus can not only heal you physically, he can heal you from the demonic oppression that's causing the physical problem you have. Are you with me? You can be delivered of the demonic and that demonic deliverance will give you healing. We even see it in our inner healing process when someone is operating under a lie a lie that they've been told and a lie that they believed. Once we break the lie and step in with the truth, the oppression goes away. Why? Because now the truth has come in. Light has come in and that darkness evades. But I just want you to be clear when we leave here today that because you're a believer does not mean you're free of the demonic. And yet I don't want to put a fear in you about the demonic. There is zero, listen to me, zero reason for the believer to be afraid of the demonic. Zero. And I told you this last week. The first time I cast a demon out of someone, it scared me probably as much as it did them. Those things are real. That thing just... Hey, no offense, but I grew up Baptist. We didn't deal with demons. But when you confront one and that fight or flight moment hits you, when you see the anger, when you see it in their eyes, when you feel the presence of that demon and you're standing there thinking, do I run away from this thing or do I stand and fight? You have to remember your authority in Christ because you use his name and you cast it out and you're done. And I know you're sitting there and you're thinking, how do I cast it out of my spouse? That's a really good indication it's actually in you. Stand to your feet. I need my prayer ministers to come forward. I need my prayer ministers to come forward. See, here's the difference maybe in Revive Church and some other churches. I got nothing negative to say about any other church. But here we're not afraid of the demonic. Here we don't sweep it under the rug. Here we know it's real, that it oppresses you, that it causes you mental problems and physical problems. And we can work through that, whether it's confession and repentance or whether it's just casting that thing out so we can get on down the road because you don't deserve that oppression that you're under. It's unjust, it's not right, it's unfair. And so we take authority over that and we cast it out. So I want you to close your eyes for a moment. I want you to put your hands open like you're ready to receive. In the
the name of Jesus, we declare in this place that we have all authority through Jesus over any demonic presence in the room. In the name of Jesus, we declare that right now your assignment is canceled in Jesus' name. I speak to the demonic oppressors in this room, and I say, I've got your number. Your day is done. I bind you, and I cast you out from this person. There will be freedom in Christ, and we will trust in his authority and the blood of the Lamb. So in the name of Jesus, we put a stop to demonic oppression in this house. We break those chains. We bind those spirits, and we cast them out, and we breathe a breath of life of healing into the people of God. We breathe a breath of life of healing into your body. We release that sickness from your body. It must go with that demonic presence in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what did you think? Has God been speaking to you about any of these things? We would love to hear from you. You can email us at podcast at reviveusnow.com. We're excited that Pastor Todd has released his latest book called Old is the New. The Old Testament is filled with stories that seem amazing on their own, but they also leave questions. If they are history and not part of the New Covenant, that we have with Christ today, then why do we need these stories at all? What are they for? Could it be that those stories were recorded and saved for us because there is something they can teach us? Could it be that those stories actually help us understand God and the new covenant he has with us? Could it be that somehow those stories guide, teach, and help us understand what God has for us as new covenant believers? And finally, Could there be hidden mysteries in these stories that actually give us revelation for today? This new book is available now on Amazon. The podcast is brought to you by Revive Church of Stewart, Florida. You can learn more about us at our website, reviveusnow.com. If you would like to support this ministry, go to our website, reviveusnow.com slash give. If you live in our area, or are planning a visit to our area, we would love to have you join us. We are located at 8851 Southwest Old Kansas Avenue, Stewart, Florida. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not click to subscribe right here on the podcast site of your choice. That way you won't miss any of Pastor Todd's and Revive Church's future podcasts. Thank you for joining us.